Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, wonderful to be at Midtown. It's my first time here at Midtown. I actually had to look on Google Maps this morning to come here. That's a confession. Uh, that, that won't happen again. Uh, but we moved here from uh, the Deep South about three years ago, uh, South Africa, with my uh, wife and then uh, my two kids. I have a daughter that went to college this year, and then I have a son, Alexander. Uh, he's a senior, so we're officially on that side of life. And uh, I remember this weekend, my daughter is on a camp, and my son, Friday night, said, Dad, I'm going to spend the night with some friends. And I said, that's fine. So Saturday morning, Eric and I wake up, and we're like, hmm, no kids. What does this feel like, you know? <laughs> so maybe it was a little taster of empty nesting, and, uh, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Um, I'm looking forward to the time this morning, but let me introduce a little bit of what the outreach team does. So... I currently serve as the executive pastor of Outreach at New Life North. And uh, what I love about New Life is it's not just the flags in our main auditorium that we put there as an outreach tool. We really do outreach well. Um, and I enjoy just the passion of our staff, the passion of Pastor Brady, and the heart of the people. And honestly, especially Midtown, I've seen so many things in terms of outreach that this congregation does really well in reaching this community and the people around this congregation. So we have about 50 international partners that we support in most of the continents. Uh, we have a number of trips uh, coming up, and Pastor Christie has been killing it uh, over the last couple of months that she's been there. So from COVID, no trips to about 10 trips uh, for next year to a couple of nations, which I want to make you aware of. In terms of our local engagement, we have a prison ministry, we have an elderly ministry, we have a pantry, we take care of the homeless, and then we just have a number of events as the Lord leads us throughout the year. So this coming holidays, uh, we're going to adopt about over 120 families, not necessarily new life families. They just couldn't do Christmas if there wasn't any help. So there's a system for that, and you're welcome to do that. Uh, we're also um, going to adopt about 80 non-New Life families for Thanksgiving. And we're going to make sure that they get the, the turkey and I don't know all the other stuff Americans do with it, but <laughs> all of those things, um, they're going to get the whole shabam. And to say, bless you in that. And then we're going to make gifts for about 500 elderly people in the different facilities. Uh, the fact is our elderly are super untaken care of at the moment. COVID had them locked in for so many, for, for years, not even months. And we want to make sure that they feel loved. Uh, and we're going to do that with some caroling uh, in December. So if you think you can sing, we would love for you to come and join us. And just, we're going to give them gifts. We're going to love on them. We're going to sing for them. So there's some places that you can really get involved in the outreach space. And I think it's so important for us, for people to see the love of Christ. It's not, we, we don't just do the gift. We're not the Red Cross. We're not a humane society. We are the church. But the way we show people the love of Christ is through our actions. Jesus didn't just come down and say, I think I will die for you on the cross one day. Or it's a good idea or just a plan. Or stayed with his disciples. He actually acted in that space until death. And that's how he showed his love to us. So it's very important for us that whatever we do, if we adopt a family, if we give a turkey, if we go to the prisoner, that they must know it's because we're compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. 
And we believe it's the love of Jesus Christ that will change lives. Not the acts of kindness. Yes, we use the acts of kindness, but it's not just the acts of kindness. It's Jesus that makes the change. So I am passionate, passionate about missions, passionate about outreach. So that is actually what I wanted to speak about today. And then I realized, but you guys have done this whole series. You're at number six. Yeah. And so I'm going to speak about both today. Uh, so be ready to get out here by about two-ish maybe. You know, we'll just do both of them um, together. But I, I have decided to, to combine them and... And interestingly enough, as I read through Galatians 6, I picked up on three truths that I believe is so important for us if we want to do missions well. So my theme this morning is living your mission. We have more than just two weeks a year. And unfortunately, many of us think that missions is confined to the two-week trip that we go somewhere. And then when we come back, we forget about our mission and the great commandment. But our mission and the great commandment is for every day. It's a Monday through Sunday assignment. It is not just an overseas assignment. It is not just going to California or the one day when we go to prisons. It's not just confined to those days. It's a seven day a week, 24 seven assignment that God says, I need you to pick up the great commission. And that is what we're gonna look at today. Say, how do, can you live the great commission daily? And you're going to see it's actually quite easy. So if you would like to follow with me, we're going to read Galatians 6 from verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers so 10% of whatever you're going to eat this afternoon, you can just bring it to me because I was teaching today. I'll give you my address. I'll take gift cards, DoorDash, anything. Um, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the, mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So three truths or three principles that I want to take out of this portion of scripture. Number one, your mission is living a life of pleasing to, pleasing to the spirit. And brother, you almost preached my first point. So if you just want to come back and do that, Galatians 5.22 and finish up. But that is exactly what I wanted to say is that according from the scripture, we have two options. We can either live a life according to our sinful nature, or we can live a life according to the Spirit. So hence the question then, God, what does a life that we live according to the Spirit look like? And, and Galatians 5.22 is, is so clear. It says, you will be known by your fruit. So if you live according to the Spirit, and you want to know if you live according to the Spirit, you can have a little checkbox. 
you can ask yourself, am I living a life of love? Am I living a life of joy? Am I living a life of peace? Am I living a life of kindness, patience, and self-control? And then the scripture says, against these things, there's no law. There's no job environment, there's no place that we can do this too much. But we'll always have the option, because if I look at scripture, there's another scripture that says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And we are here on earth, our living, our mission that we want to live out is to establish God's kingdom here on earth. So if you want to know if you're establishing God's kingdom in your home, in your workplace, in whichever environment it is, are you establishing love? Are you establishing joy? Are you establishing peace? Are you establishing patience? Because in doing those things, you're actually establishing the kingdom of God. And these qualities are not just confined to the church. The expectation is not just to be nice and kind and, and generous here at the church. This is easy. We need to take what we experience here and take it outside. And I want to encourage you that, that if you think of missions, do, no, do not neglect to think of your own household. It starts with your family. Dad, how kind are you towards your kids? How compassionate are you? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, we're going to have some confession time at this moment. Jonathan, please come out. <laughs> No, I think the question is, and it's unfortunate that, that many times we think of, you know, go and make disciples unto all nations, but we forget our own household. If we were just to focus on our families, on our kids, on our wives, how, how, does, how does the fruit of the Spirit play out in your house, ladies and gentlemen? Because if you start there, you'll have a healthy home. And healthy homes make healthy disciples. Then we can go to your workplace. Are you the kind of person that brings in the non-kindness? Every time you step into the office, they're like, oh, let's just, let's just get out of here. We had peace until he arrived. We had peace until she arrived. This office was functioning great until that person came into the office. If that is the label that other people place on you, you're missing to establish God's kingdom in your workplace. Or, well, they say, I cannot wait for Melton to come to the office. Because, you know, it feels all messy and we don't know what to do. But when Melton comes to the office, I'm, t I'm telling you, there will be peace. There will be kindness. There will be self-control. And as we practice these things in our households, in our workplace, at Walmart, when you wait 20 minutes to register or anything of those things, that's how you establish. What's nice about the fruit of the Spirit it's not like fruit that you just get certain times of the year at certain places. This fruit is available all seasons, all time, wherever. And this is exactly the opposite spirit that will get people to know Christ. Because we always act in the opposite spirit. Our initial, our evil desires is to go with somebody, to get them. But when we start acting in the opposite spirit, when we start acting in the fruit of the Spirit, that is when all people will get to know you and say, but there's something different. All of us acted like this during COVID, but you did it like this. Now with all of these layoffs, you're, we're all acting like this, but you're acting like this. Can you please tell me what's the difference? 
It's the easiest way to live out your testimony. I don't expect you to go into a corner and, and just throw out tracks. And there's people that do it, and that's great, and we bless you. But by living out the fruit of the Spirit, you will attract. It's, it's, it's like um, insects are, is attracted to ripe fruit. These fruit is in such a way it will attract people. It will attract people to ask you the way you live life. What's very interesting if you make the decision to live a spirit-led life, that you will come into situations where you'll always have two options. Any restaurant, you have two options. Salad or pizza. <laughs> Coke or Diet Coke. The one is always better than the other one. And, and, I, and I, I can promise you this. As soon as you make a decision and you say, Lord, help me to be more patient. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be provided opportunity to practice patience. Everybody on I-25 is going to do 55 miles an hour when you're in a hurry. You're going to get to your office. You said, Lord, help me to practice more kindness. You will present it with opportunities to practice kindness. When your evil desires want to do this and you want to go according to the flesh, you're going to need to make choices to do it according to the Spirit. But that is what will bring the difference. Against these things, there are nothing. There's no law against it. My second point that I wanted to just communicate this morning is that your mission starts with love. It's very interesting when I, when I read Scripture and when I read the Bible, and I was thinking about this, and if the Lord would have given me the assignment and said, Melton, we want to go down to heaven and we want to establish kingdom there. Can you please write up a little business plan? I think my plan would have looked more like a military coup. I said, Lord, I just want to make sure, do we get angels in this process? He said, all the angels you need. Lord, do we get Jesus because he's super powerful? Yes, you get Jesus. I would have made military camps. We would have figured this thing out, and within seven days, kingdom would, would have been established. And that's kind of the expectation that was in, in biblical times. Is Lord, how will you establish your kingdom? We, will you be our king? Will you reign? Are we going to take over? Are we going to have warfare? And he said, no, I'm going to pick something much greater. I'm going to send you a child that will spend his life with probably the majority of the time with 12 people. And the way he's going to conquer this earth is through love. And that love is going to be so extensive that he will actually die on a cross for people he, does, he has not met yet. That is how I will establish my kingdom. It's, it's the power of love. And there's a song, and I'm not going to even try to sing it. But ladies and gentlemen, I have never found anybody that hated you because you loved them. Because you, you exhibit the Spirit. You exhibit the properties of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Because you love them, not because they love you back, just because you have loved them. It's the most powerful power we can have. And you know what? All of us know how to love. Even if you have not experienced that in a great way, and I understand there, there's family situations or family dynamics that you maybe have experienced that that wasn't love, but even the fact that you can point it out and say that wasn't love, you know what love should look like. 
There's something inside of us that says, no, wait, that's wrong. That's wrong. Because I know a good father, a good mother, or love is supposed to act in this way. It's something that bu- that's built in us that we have the ability to do. And then if, if we, in this context, if we read um, Matthew, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, it says, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And this is Jesus speaking. So he gives the great commission to the disciples. He said, go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything I have commanded you. And there's another portion of scripture where, where Jesus is asked and said, Lord, then what is the greatest commandment? If, if we were to do this, if we were to go and teach them everything, what is the greatest commandment? And then Jesus refers back to scripture and it says, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind. And then it's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what I've noticed is that, that the great commission is actually inside the great commandment. And I'll show this through a picture. Don't put the picture up yet. But how would you describe a good disciple? If the Lord says, go and make disciples, surely we need to be disciples before we can go and make disciples. You can only reproduce that which you are. So if you're not a disciple, you're not going to be able to make a disciple. So what is a good definition of a disciple? I think the easy definition for me, it is somebody that loves the Lord their God with all their heart and all their mind. I think that's a very easy, easy understandable way. Lord, when I love you with all of my heart and all of your mind, I actually am a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is a good definition of somebody making disciples? They love their neighbors as they love themselves. If you want to go and make a disciple, go and love them. If you want to be a disciple maker, may that be your way of doing things. May that be your assignment. And then it goes further to say, as you love yourself. And now you can put that little, uh, that's it. So being a disciple is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. And if we think of missional living, there's actually these three parts to it. The second one then is to love your neighbor, making disciples. And, and the third one is going to lead me into my third point. But it says, as you love yourself. Now, there is a healthy way to love yourself. There's a healthy way to admire the way that God made you. In fact, David did it in Psalms uh, 139. It says, you made me all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. God made you in a specific way. He knitted you in, his mother, in your mother's womb for a specific place and a specific assignment that you need to not undervalue your uniqueness, your gifts, your, characters and your, your character, and your skills. 98% of us would never be in full-time ministry. And you're not supposed to be. The, the goal of life is not to be in full-time ministry. I read the story of a church, I think it was down in Texas, where it was a medical doctor. Once a year, they had a week-long conference. So 
the medical doctor was putting some of the info sheets on the, on the chairs before the conference. So the pastor came and said, wow, what are you doing? We have other jobs for you. This is really, we can get somebody else to do this. And he said, you know what? This is the one week in a year that I feel I'm doing ministry. That's sad. Here is somebody that will probably see more people than pastors. <laughs> he will have, I don't know how many people per day coming into his office with a specific need. And he has the opportunity to be the spirit and to choose the life of the spirit to many would probably never set their feet in a church. But yet he feels he's not in ministry except for that one week a year. I want you to think of your workplace your business, maybe you're in government, maybe you're military, wherever you find yourself, you find yourself there because God has purposed for you to be there. I want to really encourage you when I prayed, I prayed about today. I want to encourage people that currently feels frustration in their businesses. Frustration is not, or the frustration in the place that, they, that they're working at. Frustration is not the reason for quitting. It's assignment. If God moves you, you move. But if you're, and sometimes he uses frustration to ask some of these questions. But if it's only in a place where you, you feel, Lord, I'm just frustrated and you quit because of frustration, the way you exit is the way you enter. And maybe God just wanted you in this moment and in this season so that you can bring the opposite spirit into this place and establish his kingdom. If God moves you, move. But then God needs to move you. It shouldn't be out of frustration. I want to read one more scripture to you, Jeremiah 1, verse 4 to 5, and I've put it on the screen. It's Jesus speaking to Jeremiah, and it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you. Again, God says, I have made you in a certain way. I have given you certain character qualities. I have given you a desire. And, and if you want to ask and say, Lord, how do I know where you want to use me? And very easy, broad question is the scripture says God gives us the desires of our hearts. Now, there's two ways to see the scripture. One is you desire and he gives it. Or what you desire, he gave you. My wife has no desire for the Amazon jungle. No desire whatsoever. And yet I have spoken to missionaries that loves the Amazon jungle. It's their desire. They want to go out and reach the people. Some of us have desires for this and some of us have desires for that. If you want to know where God is wanting to use you, what's your desires? What do you like? What are, what are those things that, that you love unintentionally just comes forward? Like I know for a fact I'm not called for kids ministry. I've been there. Two hours later, I'm like, Lord, you don't want to use me here. I know. <laughs> it's not my desire to work with them. But there's other people. My daughter, she loves kids. She decided to have a job that she, after school she goes and works with kids. She loves special needs kids. And the way she works with special needs kids is amazing. The way she does it, I could never do it. But it's her desire. So God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you. 
What I also like about the scripture is that when God says, I knew and approved of you, God is not locked into time. So there's a birthday and a death date. And if God says, I knew you and approved of you, he's looking into your timeline from beginning to end. And he's saying, you know, all the silly things you did and all the stupid stuff you're going to do, all the great things you did, I know exactly how your life is going to end. And when I look at the whole spectrum, I approve of you. You're my kid. He doesn't kick you out because we do things wrong. Does he want you to align to him? Does he want you to, to live in a space as his initial and intentional intent is for you? Yes. But God knew you and approved of you. He said, I separated and set you apart. Ladies and gentlemen, God has separated and set you apart. And then for Jeremiah, it says, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. A very clear job description. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. You might be the lawyer at the law firm. The accountant for government. The business owner for Colorado Springs. Whatever needs to be filled in those blanks, that is how God has formed you. And when you stay in those places where God has placed you, you can make a massive, massive difference. I want to read you a story. And you can fact check this on helenkeller.org.za. Some of the names I'm not going to be able to say, so just pretend it's my accent. <laughs> so I'll, I'll read this to you. Dr. Frank Mayfield was touring an institute when on his way out, he accidentally collided with an elderly floor maid. To cover the awkward moment, Dr. Mayfield started asking questions. How long have you worked here? I've worked here almost since the place opened, the maid replied. What can you tell me about the history of this place, he asked. I don't think I can tell you anything, but can I show you something? With that, she took his hand and led him down the basement under the oldest section of the building. She pointed to one of what looked like a small prison cell. The iron bars rusted with age and said, that's the cage where they used to keep Annie Sullivan. Who's Annie? The doctor asked. Annie was a young girl who was brought in here because she was, she was just difficult to handle. Nobody could do anything for her. She bite and screamed and she threw her food at people. The doctors and nurses couldn't even examine her or anything. I'd see them trying with her spitting and scratching at them. I was only a few years younger than her myself. And I used to think, I sure would hate to be locked up in a cage like that. I wanted to help her, but I didn't have any idea what I could do. I mean, if the doctors and the nurses couldn't help her, what could someone like me do? I didn't know what else to do, so I baked her some brownies. And night, one night after work, and the next day, I brought them in. I walked carefully to the cage and said, Annie, I baked these brownies just for you. I'll put them right here on the floor, and you can come and get them if you want. Then I got out there as fast as I could because I was afraid she might throw them at me. But she didn't. She took the brownies and ate them. And after that, she was a bit nicer to me when I was around. Sometimes I talked to her. Once, I even got her laughing. One of the nurses noticed this and she told the doctor. They asked me if I would help them with Annie. I said I would if I could. So that's how it came about that every time they wanted to see Annie or examine her, I went into the cage first and explained why they were coming in. 
My explanation calmed her down, and I held her hand to reassure. As a result of this, they discovered that Annie was blind. After working with her for about a year, and it was very tough, the Perkinson's Institute for the Blind opens its doors. They were able to help her, and she went on to study, and she then became a teacher herself. Annie came back to the institute to visit and see what she could do to help. At first, the director didn't say anything, but then he thought about the letter he just received. A man had written to him about his daughter. She was unruly, almost like an animal. She was blind and deaf, as well as deranged. He was at his wit's end, but he didn't want to put her in an asylum. So he wrote to the institute to ask if they knew anyone who would come to his house and work with his daughter. And this is how Annie became the lifelong friend of Helen Keller. When Helen Keller received the Nobel Prize, she was asked who had the most significant impact on her life. Helen then said, Ali Sullivan. And then Annie said, no, Helen. The woman who had the greatest influence on both of our lives was a floor mate at the Institute. It reminds me of Matthew 25. It says, if you would go and visit a prisoner, you visit me. If you would go to an elderly, you, you visit me. If you give somebody a, a cup of water, you've given it unto me. Ladies and gentlemen, our mission is not difficult. Our mission is to love the people around us. If you can bake brownies, do it. Do it. If you're the maid in an institute, do it well. Do it well because you never know who might be in that cage that, that God's wanting you to reach into. And you can change millions of lives by attending to the one. You can change millions of lives by being sensitive when you walk around in your neighborhood. By starting to pray for your neighbors. Just pray for your neighbors. God will set it up. But let us not be so full of our own lives that we do not have time to bake brownies. That we're so full of our next day and our next hour and what we need to accomplish and what we need to do that we forget to bake brownies for those in need. Because the brownies might just be exactly what's needed. It's easy. But we need to be attentive. We need to be aware of the people that God sends into our life. So I want to encourage you this morning, let's choose to live a life of the Spirit. Let's choose to love and to love well. And let's choose to do our work, our jobs. We've got a place to do that well. Because while we do that, we'll see God's kingdom being established. And we will see our world being changed. It's truly a revolutionary gospel that brings about great change when we love well. We're going to transition into communion time. And the way it's going to work, I would love for you to exit to your left and then come out and take your communion, go back to your seat. You do not need to wait for me to use it. And this is what I felt. When I read through Galatians and it says, do not stop doing good. Because if you do not stop, 
you will receive the blessing. And this is what I, I felt in my heart that there's people here in this room this morning that they have prayed for years for their kids for salvation. It's been years. And that you're at the point where you're like, Lord, when will they turn to you? When will they turn to you? And I, I want to tell you this morning, I felt the Lord say, do not give up. Do not give up in praying, especially, and I felt it for a parent towards their children. A parent towards their children. And maybe you have a friend or an uncle or an aunt, and we're going to be include, include them in this prayer. But I specifically want parents that have been praying for their children to say, do not give up. Do not give up because your, your prayers will not go in vain. If you keep on doing that, you will receive the blessing. So the way we're going to do it, Jonathan is going to lead us in, in, in more worship. If you don't mind getting up, taking your community elements, and maybe your families, and maybe there's a mom and a dad, or just friends. And if there's people that you know that needs Christ, I want you to take communion. Communion is where God said, I will shed my love for everybody, not just for us in this room. I have shown love to everybody. And as you use communion together, I want you to pray for those people. I want you to pray for the lost son and daughter. I want you to pray for the family member, the aunt and the uncle, whatever it might be. And we're going to give you about five minutes or so, and then I'll come up and I'll close us out in prayer. Thank you very much.
Father God, thank you that as a congregation this morning, we want to thank you that you have decided with love to die for us on the cross. Lord, thank you that we do not need to carry the burden of sin. Lord, that, that we can enjoy love and peace and kindness from you because you've given it to us first. Lord, I pray that we would be conduits of the same spirit that you've given to us. Lord, that we would show love and kindness and peace and joy and generosity to those around us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the people you send on our path. Lord, but we specifically want to pray for family members that do not know you at this moment. Lord, I want to pray that you would strengthen the parents, the moms and the dads who've been on their knees for years praying for their kids. And, and maybe some of those children find themselves in prisons today. Maybe some of those they haven't spoken to in years, but Lord, we know that you know where they are. So Lord, we call those children back unto you and say, Lord, the prayers that's been prayed over their lives will not be in vain, but they will get to know you in a mighty way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And then Lord, if there's any other family members, people, our neighbors, Lord, help us to be sensitive. Help us just to at least to start praying for our neighbors. To help to start praying for, for those who work with us in our offices or in our business or wherever we might find ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would bless them and those who do not know you. May they encounter the love of Christ through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for being at Midtown this morning. Be blessed and have a great Sunday. Have a great lunch and we'll see you all next week.